Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. This is the 19th tee here in Marsh and Nathan Drudy with you as always. Now, Drudy, sir, we always like to say that uh, we talk the game at all levels. We are a couple of months into this caper and I think it's dawned on us that aside from our obviously very astute, educated and informed opinions, we're not offering our listeners much more than our voices. Would that be would that be fair to say? That would be accurate, mate. Accurate indeed. So we had a we had a we had a thought. We put our brains together collectively at equals one, uh, <laughs> and thought to ourselves, what what practically could we give our listeners? Most of whom we assume are much like ourselves. I don't I don't think we have too many players playing off scratch or plus listening to a couple of hackers like you or me. What can we offer? Uh, you know, our listenership by way of I suppose practical help. Uh, and ourselves selfishly in the process to improve our game. And we thought, what better way than to have a resident pro of the 19th tee? Isn't that right, Dreads? That is correct, mate. That is exactly what we've done because me and you are offering uh, nothing short of garbage advice if we're passing anything on, KM. Too so. true. Too true. And, and it's a good self-assessment of where we're at in our game, Struve. Uh, garbage. <laughs> so is. the important thing, though, was uh, was that we found... And we found a pro that, I suppose, fitted the ethos, fitted the mould, fitted Correct. the spirit of the 19th tee. Because the great respect to a lot of pros, a lot of pros. Um, they probably just weren't quite what we were looking for until we stumbled across uh, a young man by the name of Aussie Beef. Uh, he models himself on the great Beef Johnson. Uh, and I'm sure if you aren't familiar with him yet, you will be very shortly. He joins us now for the very first time on the 19th tee. I speak, of course, of Ollie Neves. He is the resident pro at Moor Park in Sydney, otherwise known as Aussie Beef. Ollie, welcome to the 19th tee. Thanks for joining us. Boys, what an intro. That was awesome. <laughs> we got there. Thanks it, for having it, me. It was long. It was, it was probably uh, the longest intro we've had. <laughs> I, I feel like you, you were a bit harsh on yourself. Though. I'm sure you've uh, got a bit more game than you. Uh, give us the next 30 minutes we'll, we'll show you exactly where we're at don't, uh, don't you if, worry if not, I'll send you some videos <laughs> now the, the idea of this going forward and, and, and we're looking to make this a, a semi-regular piece I'll obviously have you as part of the, the 19th T family but the idea will be to give some practical tips to our, our, our listeners about how they can improve I suppose the, the most common errors um, that you see as, as the resident pro there at Moore Park. But before we, mm-hmm. before we do that, we have to lay out your credentials. We have to prove to the listeners that we haven't, uh, we haven't just Googled or picked up someone off the internet or we don't believe in. We have to lay out, uh, lay out your expertise and, and your knowledge. So tell us a little bit about your, your golfing journey. Tell us about uh, your connections to the game and, and how, I suppose, how you ended up at, at Moore Park. Sure. Uh, well, it's a fairly long story. Where, where should I start? Right at the beginning or... Sounds good. It's, it's the best place to start. <laughs> so pretty much I started playing golf when I was 13, which uh, back then was fairly young to be starting. These days, um, you know, I gave a lesson to a kid this morning oh, that was four years old. So back then it felt like a, an early age. But um, yeah, so I grew up 
in Palm Beach in Sydney, Australia, uh, obviously a beautiful part of the world. Um, not really known for its golfing prowess, but uh, the school I went to uh, had a lot of really good golfers. Um, it was some somewhat of an outlier school. And uh, yeah, so I started playing just with mates. Um, I was a fairly slow learner. It wasn't, wasn't as if I was a great player straight off the bat, but uh, I was uh, always a hard worker, which is a good trait for improvement at that age. Uh, I was fairly streaky all through my junior years um, until I was about 18. When I finished school, I didn't really know where I was at. And uh, I decided to do a PGA traineeship when I was 19 years old. Um at that stage, I was probably, I'd probably blown out to about maybe like a two or three handicap. Maybe that, that last year of school, I sort of didn't play that much. Didn't really know what I was doing, but uh, sorry, sorry, once blown, I had sort of blown out to two or three, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> sure you dropped out there earlier. I thought you said blown out to two <laughs> or three. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you're trying to have a career in golf, though, that's, uh, it wasn't very promising <laughs> at that stage. As good as a 12. Um, yeah. <laughs> So at that point, I uh, actually I, I found I found a coach and I actually changed my swing up a bit and I just sort of went from strength to strength and I sort of dropped down to sort of a plus two within within that year and um, decided I was going to do my traineeship the PGA traineeship um, which is obviously the three year course um, to become a golf pro uh, but at that that point I was sort of really getting into my playing and I would say I was, I was lucky in the fact uh, I I did my traineeship at Pimble Golf Club in Sydney and worked for a really good head professional in Ian Paul um, and I was just lucky in the fact that I just, I just like he, he was really good with playing and I, I was doing my traineeship at the same time as the number one trainee in the country so I was sort of ranked maybe top five, top 10, and uh, I could kind of slide under the radar a bit in that, in that fact. But uh, yeah, worked really hard for those few years and uh, had a bit of success and decided when I finished, I wanted to go overseas. I played a little bit in Oz, but uh, I essentially went over to Europe uh, with negative two grand in my bank account, uh, which probably wasn't the best idea, but uh, I went to tour school, um, not European tour school. I went to, uh, I played Euro Pro and Alps tour, which is sort of uh, mini tours over there. Uh, and was lucky enough to get my card when I went over there. But uh, yeah, like I said, didn't really have any money. Uh, ended up staying for just over two years, which was good. Um, just did this sort of early 20s. I was traveling. Uh, I was there with my now wife, uh, sort of, all through Italy and France and sleeping in the car and um, learning a lot about the game and that sort of stuff. Uh, I was also lucky that the golf course I worked at, um, the the teaching pro there was the coach of Darren Clark. So he was a performance coach and uh, I was lucky enough to um, sort of follow him. Uh, and it was 2011. So it was the year he won the open. So I was, I was there on hand for that. And uh Wentworth and a bunch of European tour events. So when I wasn't playing, I was sort of doing a bunch of performance coaching or sort of getting mentored in, in that facet. Um, yeah, two years passed. I came back to Australia um, and I kind of got the travel bug after that. I sort of spent three or four years just traveling the world. 
I had a golf travel company. Uh, I took clients over to Pebble Beach, uh, went over to the States, New York, uh, did a bunch of travel to Bamboogle, Melbourne, you name it, just sort of like boutique sort of golf travel coaching sessions uh, whilst also being an assistant pro. Um, and then when I finally got back, maybe this was a few years ago, my parents actually both got sick. Um, and yeah, I essentially spent two years uh, out of the game, just looking after my mum and yeah, just sort of working casually. And then, yeah, once the dust settled, um, I wasn't really in the right frame to work. So looking for the right situation and environment and uh, I knew sort of where I was at wasn't really working and I had to sort of rethink my whole, you know, when, when something like that happens, obviously you searching for a lot of meaning in life and in golf and uh, career and that sort of stuff. So got to the point uh, maybe six months ago where I'm at now. And um, yeah, the job came up at Moore Park and sort of ticked all the boxes and everything I kind of wanted to get into, be my own boss, great clubs, very accessible, forward thinking. And uh, yeah, this is essentially where my brand Aussie Beef Golf was formed. So it kind of gave me the opportunity to, um, start fresh and, and and sort of do it do it my own way I guess was it a game that you took to naturally or did you have to work oh. quite hard at it before you were uh, sort of at a position where you thought I can make a career out of this game yeah like, like I said I was, I was really streaky so I'd kind of have uh, I always played four round tournaments really well so I think when I was really locked in um, I, I, I'm sort of like an old school golfer in the term I like I, I play a lot of different shots uh, I'm very much a field golfer, so um, I've always sort of been regarded as a really good ball striker. So if I could get the putter going, I was I was always um, I could sort of pop out out of nowhere and sort of have some, these good tournaments. But uh, yeah, I was always a really hard worker, and I, I know if you guys sort of follow what I do now, I, I sort of pride myself on being a really really hard worker. So I wouldn't say it came natural, but I was always good at you know most sports I played, but not wasn't a standout especially in my golf club like I think in our junior pennant team of you know seven players I think five were I think the highest handicap was like plus two so you know I was pretty uh, I didn't think I was that good but it was just the company I was around I guess. Ollie, I think we've well and truly established your bona fides. So I think you're yeah. probably overqualified. <laughs> no, that was to be a roundabout story to get here. But, no, no. Uh, no yeah, I've done, was, a, done, done a lot of living in 32 years, that's for sure. It was perfect. And, and I think what it did demonstrate is you're probably overqualified to be the resident pro of the 19C podcast. But hey, <laughs> uh, we, we, we love that because you'll lift us uh, just just by being a part of, part of the journey. What I do want to know before we get on to um, our first few pieces of practical advice is... Why Aussie beef? Uh, so obviously for the people who, um, who follow you, they know for the ones that don't um, get around Aussie beef golf on, on Instagram, but you've got the, you've got the beard like beef Johnson, as I said, mm-hmm. is, it, is it purely a representation of beef Johnson or is it a bit more to the persona of Aussie beef and the brand Aussie beef? Yeah. Great question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, so when I said I came back from overseas, like uh, I literally had a, I looked like Tom Hanks out of Castaway. So uh, <laughs> when the job came up at uh, SGA, I kind of, um, I w- you know, I was really thinking about how, how I want to do this and how I'm going to sort of, I guess, 
the 2.0 version of my golfing career or coaching career. And, um, yeah, I just thought I would, I, you know, I, I stand out. I, I've, I've got a ginger beard as well, so that, that stands out quite a lot. And um, sort of as you guys were saying, in terms of golf pros, and it's no, no disrespect, but I, I think I think the product is, you know, if you had a graph, I feel like maybe 80% of the demographic is sort of bunched into the the same sort of, in terms of how they dress, you know, standing out, that kind of thing. So, you know, there's, there's definitely a place for, uh, you know, all different styles of coaches and that sort of thing. But I thought if I'm if I'm going to do it again, I'm going to um, double down on sort of who I am and, you know, and that's, that's I'm good with people, I'm very relatable, I know my stuff. Like if you want to get techie with me, I can, but at the same time, I'm the guy you want to have a beer with after your lesson, I hope. So... Uh, I kind of the Aussie beef thing was just last minute. Obviously, I love everyone loves Beef Johnson, but uh, I just thought, if anything, just from a branding point of view, it, it kind of stands out. It sounds like you'll fit in pretty much perfectly here at the nineteenth tee. So it's, it's a marriage, <laughs> it's a marriage made in heaven. Let's uh, let's let's roll straight into the 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 first few pieces of advice for our nineteenth tee family. The, the way that we kind of pitched this first episode uh, was. For you to tell us about, I suppose, the most common mistakes you see, whether it's in your lessons, whether it's just people you're walking past there at the driving range at Moore Park, probably the most common mistakes that you are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And funnily enough, looking at this list, it probably reflects, uh, I, I suppose, the biggest areas for improvement for people who want to shave you know, immediate shots off their handicap. So the one that I want to start with, um, because it's, I think it's an area of, uh, of my game which could do with some vast improvement is the mm-hmm. short game. And I think what, what sure. you nominated here is, is um, first and foremost is club selection. And that uh, a, a lot of the mm. mistakes in the short game purely comes down to selecting the wrong club around the green. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a, it's a really good place to start. Short game is, um, you know, part part of my my coaching philosophy is I always try and start from the green and work backwards. I, I feel like, like I said, I've always been a really good ball striker, and I've sort of become obsessed with how to improve. And um, that sort of just led me to you know, it's all you can you can never overdo the short game, and I, I feel like everyone uh, practices mostly the long game, especially essentially I'm at a driving range and uh, I see people work hard, but they're, they're working on a long game the whole time. But uh, yeah, definitely a few problems. I see the, the club selection, especially around the greens, um, picking the right shot, playing the wrong, you know, the wrong shot from, uh, from a certain lie or um, even just, just wedge play, just coming in, trying to come in too high all the time, trying to open up, sort of hitting that armsy high spinny shot um, as opposed to just sort of finding something that works for you and just, you know, it's better to be consistent with something that works for you than uh, just trying all these fancy shots. So for those of us who say aren't uh, playing on a tour week in, week out, we're more just down at the, the club on a, on a Saturday, whether it's comp or Sunday, we're just having a bit of fun. I suppose, mm-hmm. as you say, we're looking to replicate those high flop shots that sit on a, on a five cent mm. piece and stop or spin backwards, not a reality for mm. the average golfer. So 
I, I suppose what in terms of club selection, but also choice of shot, what's what's the 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 best piece of advice you give to a person who might be struggling in terms of being a bit more realistic about where they're at in their game? Yeah, look, it, it, it all depends on, um, you know, how, how much time you have or, or sort of what level you're at. It might differ a little bit, but uh, I kind of feel just for the, just for the regular listener, maybe there's, there's probably only really three shots you need around the greens. Um, and just applying them and sort of having different variations on that. So that's obviously just like the sort of 50-50 chip, I call it, which uh, essentially is just a basic pitch shot we use in the loft of the club, um, dictating how much uh, how much you want to carry the ball, how much roll you have just by the club you're using. Um, but essentially, it's just something that's really simple, just getting in, in, in a great setup, Um uh, ball position slightly back of the stance, descending on the ball, um, using more sort of your top half, rocking your shoulders, just a really consistent um, arm-to-arm swing where you're just really focusing on on contact. But, um, yeah, that, that shot uh, is, is sort of the go-to one I try and teach. Uh, just, just to have something where, you you know, that you can kind of rely on and then, and then go from there. Uh, the and other I... two, I guess, the, the, the bump and run and the the high flighted the you know the 60 degree shot you know nothing too fancy with that one but um definitely uh i see people over complicating that one um and just sort of getting a little bit too fancy where rather than just sort of letting letting you set up and the loft of the club dictate dictate what you're going to do and then the bump and run obviously just um i i don't think i don't think people play the bump and run uh shot enough and um, people are often surprised when I teach them that, that, that shot. They're just sort of like, oh, you know, uh, they, they grab the lobby straight away. Yeah, it's it's and, not sexy, um, the bump and run. It's, it's def- What's that? It's not sexy, the bump and run. No, it's not. It can be. It can be. Um, <laughs> if you're chimming them in, it's uh, a little bit sexier. But, um, yeah, it's definitely an efficient golf shot, that's for sure. And you can use it a lot of, a lot of times around the greens. And just finally on the short game, I suppose one of the most common mistakes for, say, a handicapper between 15 and 25 is duffing their chips. So mm-hmm. in your mind, what is the most common error that leads to a duff chip? And, and, and what are a few things that um, the listener can work on if they're constantly you know, hitting, it, hitting it fat behind the ball? Yeah, look, uh, I guess... Um... The duff, the duff shot, it kind of comes back to the, you know the contact again and lift the ball or not being in the right the right setup essentially. So I would I would probably focus on that sort of the lower the lower shots. Um, try and get the ball just slightly back of the stance, hands slightly forward, and just try and simply just kind of keep that that rocking motion. Try and keep the hands ahead of the ball post impact. Uh, keep them nice and low. The other thing is just that that weight of the the um, on the stance, just hanging back, maybe um, getting that that weight a little bit further forward, uh, trying to get the ball descending. Sorry, get the club descending into the ball. So maybe a little bit more, a little bit more weight. You can kind of do this. Maybe if you lift your right heel off the ground, try and keep the sternum slightly ahead of the ball, and then just hold that angle. No, no, no wrist hinge. Just, just rock your shoulders with the upper body. Nice soft hands. Just really focusing on that contact, you know. 
as the extension of the short game, pitching is something mm-hmm. that I've been trying to work on quite a bit uh, at the moment. Just put a new gap wedge in the bag uh, maybe three or four months ago and it's it's a tough club to hit the old gap wedge or any sort of pitching wedge is quite tough to to hit because it does require, obviously all shots require a very good impact, but the wedges particularly because they can, uh, you can either thin them very, very easily or you mm-hmm. can jump yeah. them very easily as well as I did on Saturday uh, and put one into the water. How does, how, how does sort of the, how do you sort of assess people's pitching games? I suppose, what are some of the faults that you see quite quickly when uh, someone picks up a wedge in hand? Uh, how far out were you on that on that uh, shot you put in the water? It was uh, eighty-eight metre downhill uh, par three over water, and felt really good getting up there and just yeah. huge big divot water. <laughs> okay, shut up. Uh, how far did you hit? The, <laughs> I, can, the... I can hear you laughing in the back. Sorry, I thought the microphone was on mute. My mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bit so, of wind. Yeah. Um, how, how far do you hit the 52 degree? Uh, probably hit that, yeah, about uh, 85 to 90. So I felt pretty good with it in hand. I just just chunked it big time. Okay. Uh, big divot uh, into the water. Yeah, look, I mean, that, that could have been an execution problem just on that one. But uh, I like that was sort of your, the, your right distance. I, I, I would probably say that would be the biggest fault is just the distance. Uh, people not, sorry, sorry, clients not knowing their distance of their wedge shots. Um, if you watch the pros, they they very rarely kind of hit a hundred percent gap wedge, right? They're sort mm. of controlling that flight, that ninety percent shot, um, and then they have different variations off that. But uh, I sort of a few clients, and I'm like, oh, how far do you hit that? And you're like, oh, I can I can hit that one hundred and twenty, and then you know you hit ten shots on flight scope, and there might be one that went one sixteen, the rest have gone you know one oh eight, so. I think knowing your distances and then knowing your max distance with all your wedge shots and then, you know, getting comfortable with, um, yeah, not hitting 100% on those ones, just getting consistent. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess, Drew, you're at the President's Cup. You probably would have noticed uh, how good everyone's wedge play was mm. around that golf course and how much control how much control they had. They were coming in quite low and spinny. So very rarely they were sort of hitting that slighted full swing sandwich that sort of span up into the wind. They were always controlling the wedge shots really well. Is there a tip to, to generating some spin? I suppose we all, it's, um, it's a shot that I love seeing personally, watching the pros play. You touched on it there, the President's Cup, where they fly the ball in and it seems to just stop uh, quite quickly. Is there, is there a sort of a, a tip that you can put your maybe give to the listeners that might uh, help them generate a little bit more spin as they're uh, making their approach shots into the green? Yeah, on, on wedge play? On yeah. full swings? On wedge play. Yeah, uh, I mean, well, I, I guess one of the biggest problems I see, uh, like I said, I do a lot of playing lessons. I always check the grooves straight away. So um, having clean grooves is a, is a big one. Um, what ball you play, and then it just comes down to the centerness of, you know, the where you're striking the ball and, and how much speed you're putting on it. But uh, obviously just having clean contact and then all those things put together is how much spin you're going to generate. Ollie, just one more on the, the pitching. I, I'm curious, do you think 
and, and obviously it's, it's hard because you see so many different clients in a day, let alone trying to speak to what mm. is the, the main problem. But it sounds to me as though uh, it, it's a confidence thing that if you, uh, if you hit a wedge with authority because you know exactly you know, how far you hit it and therefore you're not swinging with mm. yourself, you're not trying to, it's not a guessing game, you're not pulling out mm. a wedge and, and maybe thinking, oh, let me, let me bring it back 70% because I think that's where I'm going. So it, would it be fair to say sure. that the, the, the greatest gift you can give to yourself as a wedge player is the confidence of exactly how far you hit it. So you hit it with authority. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that, that's a huge asset for wedge play. Um, I, I I do a little bit of work uh, on my own game with a, with a close friend of mine, Dean Ma out at uh, Eleanor country club. And he told me a great quote the other day and he said, uh, I think he got it from Alex Mercer, but it was uh, it hit each shot. Like a, it hit each wedge play shot. Like it's a longer chip as opposed to a smaller full swing. And, and how I interpret that was, uh, you know, just being really affirmative with it and sort of just imagining it all the way to the hole, getting a good vision of it, like you're hitting a chip shot, as opposed to a lot of amateurs, like I said at the start, will kind of open up, try and, you know, all arms and, and just sort of try and whack the ball. Whereas if you're coming in a bit lower with a little bit more control, I, I think... Uh, you'll see some big improvements. All right, let's go to the beach. Let's go to the bunker. Um, I've got to to tell you, uh, this is my single largest Achilles heel in my game, Ollie. Uh, And and to be fair, I think, I think that it's, it's 90% mental. I think it's, I think it's hitting Mm -hmm. a shot into the sand and I've beaten myself before I walk in there. But, when I'm in there, it's, it's probably a complete lack of confidence in the technique mm-hmm. and the method okay. to ex- exit out appropriately. Now, one thing that has helped me probably only, only recently, last couple of months, and, and I'm not sure whether or not you did see it, but it's something we spoke about on the program when it, when it came out. Um, Rory McIlroy uh, at a European tour event a few months ago playing a pro-am with Justin Timberlake. There was a video going on Instagram on the European tours account where Rory gave Justin Timberlake a bit of a 60-second bunker tutorial and i found that really helped and essentially that the basis of that was um cocking at the elbow rather than swinging the ball fully and therefore coming down quite steeply underneath the ball mm-hmm. now that has helped marginally i wouldn't say it's been a, a an astronomical improvement but it's helped me at least yeah. probably walking with a bit more confidence but i suppose what are what are the common mistakes you see in, in, in players around about our level when they go into the sand? Cause it does seem to be a weakness in a lot of people's games. Mm. Was it, was that uh, sort of, was he relating to, was that, was that just to get more steep in the bunker? I didn't, I didn't see that clip. But. Yeah. So essentially I, I suppose to, to try and explain it as simply as I can, because it's, it, it's a, it's a visual thing as with most teaching parts of mm. golf and it's hard to yeah. do over a podcast, not television, but yeah. Essentially, what he did was um, obviously weight uh, almost entirely in the front leg, so leaning right into the shot, and then having the uh, yep. having the ball in the middle of your stance and kind of drawing a line mm. back to your body, opening the the, the mm-hmm. club face, and if the club mm-hmm. imagining the club face was the top of a T at the top of that line, and then mm-hmm. rather than swinging, um, you know, with a full arm extension, it was literally cocking mm. at the elbows and bringing it right up past your your ear, and then down yeah, steep okay. underneath the ball again. Was it was it was essentially his advice. Now that is what I've employed since I saw that video. I don't have the confidence to 
to take a I'm sure that's a good advice if McElroy is, uh, if McElroy's selling it that's for sure yeah well I, I mean I, I suppose it'd be different if it was Justin Timberlake giving Rory McElroy a tutorial about bunker work <laughs> I probably wouldn't have paid much uh, heed to the heed to the video but I, I, as I said I kind of I, I don't have the confidence in my own game to walk into the bunker now I you know I see players on the tour all the time. They go in there and they seem to have a full arm swing, full arm extension, and you know, mm. him underneath the ball and pull it up within four feet. I, I don't physically know how that's possible, let alone imagine myself doing it. So, this seems to have bridged a sure. small gap for me. But I'm wondering what are the the common, uh, I suppose, the common errors and the, and the common common fixes for bunker. Yeah, look, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of it. It, it comes down to confidence, and I think it's the confidence in knowing whereabouts in the sand you're hitting the ball and that consistency. Um, probably the biggest fault I see is just maybe the, the setup, just just not being correct, maybe a little bit too much leading edge, taking too much sand, too big of a swing. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of like to... I, like, I kind of like to get that, that weight on that front foot. I try and open the club face a little bit. I'm a little bit different in my teaching um, in terms of opening up. I play my bunker shots quite square to the target, but then I tilt my shoulders a little bit open um, and club face open. Um, I, I feel if you just if you're just opening it up, a lot of uh, amateurs will will sort of drop that right shoulder too much and take too much sand in that way. So yeah, I try and get up. I try and set up quite square. Uh, a nice full swing. I, I I try and really focus on that follow through. I sort of dictate how far I'm going to hit the shot based off my follow through. That's sort of what I imagine. Um, but in terms of drills, just trying to be consistent with that that strike. So maybe putting a a box uh, like a little box around the golf ball and. Uh, you know, trying to hit hit some shots where you're really trying to use the bounce of the club, slide it under that so the ball's obviously in the middle of the box. Um, and then I'll throw in some sort of one-handed shots just with my right hand, if you're a right-handed golfer, just really feeling that bottom of the club sliding through that box and, and then following through. Um, I think once you get consistent with that, uh, yeah, your, your confidence will go right up and, and sort of you'll gain a lot more trust from that. What about club selection in the bunker, Ollie? Because um, uh, when I got my set, it came with a sandwich. And uh, when I quickly realized that I was horrible out of the bunkers as well, I started doing some online research as well. And, and mm-hmm. one of the, the tips was to, you know, get a little bit more loft on the club. So now I've started using and it's been going not too bad for me so far, but I've taken the, the highest loft that I've got in my, uh, in my bag, which is a 64 degree wedge. That's so practically flat and it's, and it's okay. working for me okay at the moment. Is there, it, does it sort of depend on the lie? Does it depend on the, the pin position, how far you've got to hit? I suppose they're all factors to consider when, uh, when stepping into a bunker and, and picking a club. Yeah, look, it's different, it's different for, for most people. Uh, I, I try and stick to the one club. I, I like the I, – I, did, I didn't expect you to go all the way to 64, but uh, <laughs> you, might want, you might want a second one there. But um, – yeah, I, I generally play most of my, my bunk shots around the green with a 60 degree. It's more bounce dependent mm. um, what sort of sand you're playing out of, you know, what country you're in. Um, but yeah, I, I try and stick to the one club. 
good. And is there a general... 60 plus, 58 plus you want. Is there a general rule of thumb, Ollie, in terms of how far behind the ball you want to be striking the sand? I mean, you spoke about before taking too much sand. I also would see, I would imagine you'd see a lot of players who come in a little too steep and don't get enough sand. So if, if, you, if you're mm. looking down, down at your ball at a dress, um, are you mm. telling your players to concentrate a certain, you know, is it maybe two ball lengths? Is it, um, you know, a club head length behind the ball? Is there a general rule of thumb about how much sand you should be taking? Yeah, I, I guess a, a lot of that's trial and error with, with a client. Everyone's a little bit different in terms of their swing and, and again, how much, how much they're opening their club, what they've got. But yeah, generally a few inches behind. Um, I, I, I try and get them practicing more on, on the line before the ball, just getting consistently on that line. And then I'll, 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 I'll put the ball a few inches in front and then just try and work from there, trying to find out what works. But yeah, generally I like to look maybe three or four inches behind the ball. Let's move on to the putting green, Ollie. Um, Let's do it. It's probably the most important part of the game. Uh, you know, I, I, when I play with some some people, I see that they don't line their putts up, or and they just get up and they hit it and and hope for the best. And it's a quick way to drop shots. What's what's your one hundred and one with putting? Is it all about routine? Uh, what is it that that makes a good putting routine? Yeah, I mean, where to start? I, I, I guess in terms of technique, I feel like uh, it's a little bit overdone. As long as as long as long as you have something repeatable. Uh, and then something you can trust, then then yes, then you are sort of you're going through the motions, and you want a, a nice solid routine. But uh, yeah, it's a, again, it's a little bit different for from case to case. But uh, yeah, I try and keep things fairly simple on the putting green. That's for sure. Then you jump inside three feet. So everyone talks about you know mm-hmm. having a putt for for three feet all their life, and. And most people would be pretty uh, pretty nervous standing over a three foot part. What is it about that distance that just doesn't that, that just scares the hell out of people? Oh, I, I, you know, we've all been there. I, I think it is just the fact that that I should make that part. You know, rather mm-hmm. than thinking of what you actually have to do to to, to put a good stroke on the ball or, or or give yourself the best chance to hold the part. And that's obviously if if you've done the practice and you've done the work, then and it's just another putt, you know. So, you, again, you're just going through the motions. But, uh, yeah, it can get in people's heads. But, um, yeah, there's no need for that. <laughs> Ollie, I, I feel like, I mean, I could tell at the beginning of your answer, you probably feel the same. But I feel like we could probably do an entire episode on putting. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I, nah, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm conscious of future content. And I don't want to burn all of our, <laughs> uh, burn all our earlier cards early. But probably, uh, you know, there's so many topics we could go into in putting. One, I think the most mm. common errors of a, again, of a 15 to 25 handicapper is alignment. So you, mm-hmm, you might mm-hmm. have a, a repeatable stroke. You might have a great um, pre putting routine. Um, you might have a fantastic, even um, pendulum swing, uh, but you could be aiming in, like entirely right or left of the hole. And, and therefore mm-hmm. all of what comes before it is redundant unless you're lining up correctly. So are there, are there some quick yeah. tips? by way of alignment to get a bit more consistent yep. at where you're aiming your putt? Yeah, 100%. The, the best drill, uh, I think, for putting is the use of a chalk line. I don't know if you guys have used that before or, or you know, you can get a training aid. Um, but the chalk line that you just get from a hardware store, find a straight putt, um, 
find, you know, six foot, put the chalk line down um, and then just hit, hit a lot of putts. And I don't like using the word hit, I'm more, more roll a lot of putts down that line. It really is good for uh, alignment and just sort of seeing the ball go in the middle of the cup. Um, yeah, that's great. The other thing is probably, and something I've just, I've been focusing a little bit more on is just in the routine, placing the putter down first. Um, I see a lot of guys that um, sort of just in their routines, they'll sort of get to the ball and then their aim's right off but just from the get-go because they didn't put the putter down facing their target early. And just one more on putting. Uh, I heard a I heard a story recently from Brad Faxon, obviously one of the, the great putting coaches mm-hmm. in golf, one of the all-time great putters of, of a golf ball. He spoke about knowing that he was putting well when his ball would roll past the hole. And that, that, that sounds mm. odd. That sounds strange to, to think that, obviously, you think you're putting well when it's going in the hole. But I think what he's getting at is um, he never thought he was in, in, a, in a good purple patch of putting if he was always leaving it short. So speed mm-hmm. and, and tempo is one thing that um, a, lot of, a lot of amateur players struggle with. Would your advice always be to give it more than give it less? To Brad Faxon's point about you know, hitting it with a bit of authority. Yeah, obviously, I want to be a confident putter. Um, I, I definitely think in green reading, the first thing you want to do is pick your pace before you pick your line. Um, so having that at the forefront of your mind. Um, but then obviously, if you're hitting it out of the middle of the putter as well, that's a, that's another one. If you're hitting it out of the middle, you're going to have a lot better pace consistently. More chance to hold the putts. But um, yeah, generally, I want to get the putts to hold, that's for sure. But um I guess maybe a good drill for that one. If you another cheat one is just going to the hard hardware store again and uh, getting some blue tack, putting it either side of the sort of the center of your golf club. Um, make sure you're hitting out of the center, and um, yeah, your pace will definitely improve. Now you've given us plenty of little things to to take away, <laughs> and obviously for the listeners as well. Good. Uh, you've certainly, it, it'll have to be a, a little while before we get you back on because there's plenty to work on already. But I'm just curious, uh, I, I know that probably one we need to finish on is just some basic technique stuff. I know that you would probably see swings of all shapes and sizes there at Moore Park. Uh, you know, all, all you mm-hmm. each and every day. But some common drills that you might say to address the, the most common problems of, you know, um, you know, I suppose taking your club back or making sure that you're striking square, you don't close or open the face at it at impact what are some of the most um, common but i suppose uh, e- easily addressed drills that you're you're handing out to your clients each and every day to address hey, in, in terms of short game or full swing oh i think full swing i, I think you know obviously um we, we we've addressed a lot of things in and around the green but uh, unless sure. we can put put our irons uh, that, that close or our driver yeah. that close and that a lot of that comes down to the way in which we're we're swinging the club yeah, uh, I, I think contact is key. Um, I, I think uh, what I what I have noticed since I have been working at a driving range is just getting a little bit caught up in swing aesthetics as opposed to you know like I said I, I always enjoyed you know I didn't have a driving range at the golf course I, I played at so it was always out on the golf course and shaping shots and hitting different shots so staying away from that kind of block practice once you have so so for example what like with your bunker play if you do improve that then once once you have you should move on to more um performance-based drills or something that can you can 
then apply it to the golf course. So, yeah, just again, just having that logical, logical thinking about what you need to improve, how much time you have, and then, and then going from there, trying to trying to have the best plan to to improve. Well, look, I think uh, I think Drew's you'd agree it's been a it's been an outstanding first episode with our resident pro. I've I've, I've actually run out of uh, I've run out of page space in my notes. Yeah. On the old mobile, I've written down owls and things to work on. I don't know about you, Drews. Yeah, time to go to the range tomorrow morning. I wasn't going to go, but now I am. I, I don't You've want inspired you to think me. too many things, though. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, Ollie, I thought golf, the idea of golf mentally was to have not many thoughts in your head. <laughs> now, I, I've, no, you I've just got to be loud place louder. Uh, you just got to figure out what, uh, you know, what, what you need to improve on uh, personally and where you're going to get the the biggest bang for buck if uh if you are limited on time and, and usually that is with the short game and starting from from the green and working backwards for sure um but like, like i was saying to you guys if if uh anyone has any questions and they want to hit myself up on instagram uh or chat to you guys or ha- have something specific they want to ask i'm i'm definitely here uh i feel like that that's one of my biggest traits as a coach i just constantly uh keeping up to date with with clients, like I, I just noticed, I got a text from a client then practicing at night time saying the drills are working. So I, I, I like I, I like to uh, be really accessible for my student. That's for sure. And yeah, which I mean, is that, now the listeners here at the nineteenth day. And that's absolutely the idea of what this uh, what this will be going forward. So the the idea um, will be that we'll have Ollie back uh, semi regularly, and and that we will have a few things we want to address with him each and every time that he comes on the on the pod but for our listeners sake if there are some things that specifically as ollie said you want to work on uh, please do reach out whether it's to us at the 19th t podcast um, at aussie beef golf on instagram uh, reach out ask the questions and we will address that for um you know for, for the greater 19th t family here on the podcast but we definitely don't want this to just be a private lesson uh, for Drews and I that everyone else listens in on uh, this has to be beneficial for everyone else listening so we certainly do encourage uh, questions from the outer at the 19th T podcast at Aussie beef golf. And, and Ollie, if there are people in Sydney specifically, how do they, how do they uh, come and see you at Moore park? Yeah. Uh, they can either check out my website or um, speak to me on Instagram, but my website's uh, aussiebeefgolf.com or they can phone the Sydney golf Academy and uh, book through there. I'm pretty much working seven days a week at the moment. I do a few nights at Precision Golf in Willoughby as well. So uh, I'm, I'm a man about town at the moment. So uh, I can definitely fit you in if you're in town. Outstanding. Well, it's been a, it's been a fantastic first episode. I know episode two, we're going to probably take a, a look a little bit more at uh, game management and a bit of strategy, but I, I think you've well and truly filled the cup for the first episode. So it's fantastic, Ollie, to have you as part of the uh, the 19th T family. Really appreciate you, you joining and bringing your expertise and, and hopefully it's a long and, and fruitful marriage to come. That's it, boys. No, looking forward to it. That was fun. <laughs>